there's a couple of key decisions that you're just going to need to make. And that first key decision is what value will you bring to people? What value does the community bring to your business? And then what is the space where that overlaps? I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. Today on the podcast, I have someone that I'm lucky enough to call a friend who I've been wanting to do this episode for a while to talk about community. And I got lucky because I know, we'll call her Community Gal. Horrible nickname, but I just gave it to her. But she is a savant in this. And I thought it'd be a really fun one to do today. But April McLean's on the podcast. April, welcome. Woohoo. Thank you, friend. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So April, how do we know each other? Oh, (laughs) it was in our underground clubbing days, if I recall. (laughs) Deep underground. Uh, (laughs) Like no one ever saw us. We met in the trends community. I was running that community and you were one of those superstar, like just in the community doing some learning, cool person. And then all of a sudden breaks some sort of ceiling and then we hardly ever hear from you in a good way. Like just got, got a little too cool for us. That's where we met. Not too too busy. I wish I could spend more time just nerding out in communities and learning. But Trends has been very impressive to me as far as a community that I engage with and, and really enjoy. And what was cool is after talking with you, I saw why it was so impressive. And it was the strings you were pulling behind the scenes that, that really made it feel like an engaging and live community that was just overflowing with value to where the the cost you pay for is 300 bucks a year, which I'm frugal, that's expensive. It was a no-brainer decision to do that. So we'll, we'll get into that today. But cool. before we do, I want you to introduce yourself and say, and tell us what is Wondery? What's your kind of like quick pitch on it? Yeah. Okay. I'll introduce myself. I'm April. I did, I'm the founder of Wondery. I also work with an extraordinary company called Late Checkout, heading their community strategy. And Wondery is an agency that does one thing and one thing only, and that is community. Community strategy, community execution. Like It's just the only thing that we think about. You said savant. I have different, less kind words about it. We're like a little obnoxious, but that's what we do. All we do is build brand community strategy and then help on the execution side by either training community managers or outsourcing community managers that we train. She is the community whisperer and she's got a wait list, people. You can't even work with her if you tried. Yeah. I mean, oh, <laughs> people want she more even now when they hear that. So unfortunately uh, true. Yeah. That, that's very fun. So we're going to get into your story, but I'm going to do some very selfish, self serving questions out of the gate. We're going to get into the community playbook that you are writing, you have written, and you have done. So give me the convince me. <laughs> Why should I even start a community, April? It's like, it's no, it won't work. I'll launch it. I don't want to moderate. It's a horrible idea. I'm too busy to do a community, April. I've got to send out emails and do tweet threads. Like, why should I launch a community? I love that this is being started. Like, look, <laughs> pitch me is what I need you to do right now. <laughs> pitch me. Pitch me. <laughs> it is a very valid question. And I was just at, 
FounderCon. I was hoping you were going to be there. I was so sad that you didn't come. It was like, where's a- my, where's my invite? Where's my invite? <laughs> Your invite. It was a TechStars event. So all, all TechStars mentors were invited. So you were definitely invited. It would be cool to see you there. But what I was going to say is I had, you know, you talk to people about community and when someone's in TechStars, they're usually in that fun hustle mode where they're up 24 seven building product. And then they want to talk about community. And it is one of those rare occasions where I tell people may probably not probably don't build a community right now because you are like a one person or two people 24 seven on product. And that's not the thing that you should be building. So I would start out by saying, I'm not one of those people who think everyone should build community and all companies should build community. I don't, but why you absolutely should build community I mean, there's three really strong reasons. The first is that all of us like to feel that what we're doing with our work is somehow like proprietary. There's something like really unique about it and no one will ever be able to do it like us. It's totally untrue. Almost everything we do can be replicated. The second thing, and and the community cannot. Community is the one thing, one of the few things you can build that people cannot just emulate because it's a long game. It takes time to build relationally. No one's going to do it like you. If you build it right, it's so sticky. People aren't going to want to leave. So the first is defensibility. Community is an extraordinary defensibility. The second is like pragmatically LTV goes up and customer acquisition cost goes down when you build a community the right way. Like across the board, long-term, the ROI is unbeatable if you have the wherewithal to stick it out. And then the third is that when you build a community, you create this ecosystem that just keeps you in lockstep with the people who matter the most, which is the people that are going to give you their money. You're in constant tune with what they need, what they talk about, what's working, what's not. It's funny when I think about how much dollars companies spend on user interviews and trying to get to their demographic and like mind for information. And a community is literally that on steroids all the time at your fingertips. So it's a no-brainer. So basically, it can create a moat for your brand and your company. Because you're right, I can copy someone's landing page, but I can't copy the the community and the energy in that. The second, there's a business case in that like your lifetime value, the brand affinity that people have for you, if you do the community right, will go up. It is proven, it's quantifiable. And then third, getting access to the voice of your customer on an ongoing basis allows for iteration with product, with messaging, with everything. So if you do it right, it's this kind of like secret weapon. It's this unfair advantage. And by the way, for you all to know, April has already convinced me she's helped us significantly with the community we want to launch next year that that we'll get into that, that she can also call us out like why it's taking us so long to launch it. But that's another (laughs) another podcast. Okay, so I'm convinced. I'm like, all right, let's, I, I want to do this. Where do I even start? That sounds so daunting. I'll just go create a Slack channel and invite my friends and boom, I have a community, right? It's that simple. Let I mean, me know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> T- talk to me about like how to do this and like where companies do it well and don't do it well. Because it's kind of like me. People come to me like, oh, I need a growth marketing agency. It's not that hard, right? Just do some copy and you know, put up some ads and it's easy. But once you get into the details, I was I was just blown away by honestly like what you showed us. But talk about that. What's step one? How do I get started on doing this? I just posted this on LinkedIn recently. It was like something to the effect of you can launch a good community in 60 days, no problem. And it was it outlined the steps to it. But in a nutshell, 
there is this pre-planning phase that's really important. And then there's the execution phase, which is more important. And in that planning of a community, I want to start a community. What do I do? There's a couple of key decisions that you're just going to need to make. And that first key decision is what value will you bring to people? What value does the community bring to your business? And then what is the space where that overlaps? Because somewhere in value to them and value to you is this overlap. So I'll give an example. I'm We're building community for a media company right now that are fans, super fans of a particular type of movie. So creating a space for these people to chat about with other nerds, basically about this very niche nerdy thing is highly valuable to them, especially when it includes like watch party and programming specific things that they can't get elsewhere. But the company themselves are creating original studio content. Like that's the next play. And so now they get to be in a community with people who are talking about what they like, why they like it, any and all opinions that revolve around this thing that they're creating. It's like a total cheat sheet. So there's a value overlap. So you have to understand your value overlap. You need to understand like where you want to build it. And we should talk about platform because my mind has changed about this very recently. So who is it for? Where are you building it? What is the thing that's going to keep them coming back for more? Those are the most simple questions. You know, you know, my, that's much deeper level than that. But then what I think what people don't concentrate enough is the, uh, the execution side, because most entrepreneurs will agree that execution is really important. And yet so many companies that I talk to when I say, well, who's going to manage the community when it's up and running? They're like, ah, Joe Schmo in marketing has a few hours a week. And like Eileen, our receptionist, she'll jump in a few hours a week. And like that, that is not, it's not a thing that you can just phone in. So the community manager is the make or break component of a community. You can build a solid foundation and your community manager or lack thereof can break that very easily. That's the part I wish people would put more focus on. Yeah. And even seeing it with trends, I mean, you really would keep it going as far as someone asks a question and there's crickets and a superstar moderator is like, hey, I know Jim or so-and-so is an expert in that. Let me tag them yep. because if someone engages in community, no one responses, responds, they're going to bounce. But right. if someone responds and quickly with information that can change your mind or drive action, yeah. you're just going to fall in love with that community. And it's, it sounds simple, but it's everything. And it's having that right moderator to, to pull that off. Yeah. You're referring to that social identity cycle piece of it that, so there's this, there's this, so the thing called the social identity cycle, it's present in any community and it, it is the thing that makes the community. And it's that every single individual member goes through this cycle of identity, participation and validation so that they identify with the community. Yes, I want to be in it. They participate in the community and then that participation is validated. And you can program out what participation and validation will look like. And if they're validated, they re-identify with the community. So it's the self-fulfilling loop. But if somebody posts something and they don't get what they're looking for, that identity cycle breaks. You're it's really unlikely you're gonna get them back in at least to post again, but if it happens twice, they won't ever post again. Like we've, we've seen the data on that. So that, that being able to help people get the reward for being in your community is the work of a really good community manager. And I'm seeing it done very poorly recently <laughs> in many places. Yeah. And, and it's so unfortunate, especially if it's done well and then it's not, it's just, it's a real letdown because people have a, a certain standard they want. Yeah. The other- 
the the other thing you have an amazing framework where someone's thinking of okay we have a community that's all around this identity but then the second thing is like the types of content your community should be focused on can can you give a little bit more color on that because there there is a certain type of programming that needs to be built into it to keep the the conversations going or to engineer them but it, anything you want to add to that yeah, in the community world, they use this phrase a lot, rituals and repetition. They'll say the word rituals. And what they're really saying is programming. I've always thought it was kind of a funny word, but it is the word. Rituals are the things that anchor people back into your community. And a couple of examples, they're usually time-related. So you'll have daily rituals or weekly rituals. Weekly rituals could be like every Monday we do a crypto and coffee chat. It could be something like we do a masterclass or we do a meetup on Sunday evenings. And then you can get into, you expand out from there. Maybe you do quarterly get-togethers. Maybe you do an annual summit. But I used to run a dance studio and we would have this annual flash mob. And 11 years, we just did it every summer. And it got to the point where if we had lost, it was for adult, it was an adult only dance studio. If we had lost somebody and we hadn't seen them in a few months, come flash mob time, they would come back around because they knew that they could count on this ritual and that would pull them back in. So it's like this anchor, but it just keeps like hooking them back in if you're consistent with it. And so I look at programming as all you're doing is reinforcing the validation and rewards of being in the community in a way that's so consistent that your people can count on you to come through with it every time. And that's so good. And as we were kind of working through the one for the community we want to launch, it was, mm-hmm. I, I love that of the rituals and like the types of content, you know, where it's thought leadership or a lot of Q&A. And so for me, as you were kind of going through those examples, the, the light bulb really came on. And, and to be honest, I made us feel more confident that we thought we could pull this off and who should be the right person for moderating it. As opposed to being like, oh, it's Eileen because she has two hours a week and she's a a real nice chatty gal, right? So it's like (laughs) doing it the right way. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Inside.com. Are you a founder, marketer, or executive that's looking for the next untapped social channel? Then look no further. Seriously. This one just launched and it's already getting insane traffic. It's like the website love child of Reddit and Twitter, but for business. I love it because it's the social news site and community site that actually cuts through the noise, unlike other platforms. I can discover content from other founders, plus it's a great place to share my own thoughts with professionals. I'm actually starting to get a little bit of traffic from it. For me, I like the topics feature because I can easily jump into Inside. I can filter by startup content, e-commerce content, or marketing content to find things to help me learn or to help me make my own business decisions. Plus, they host AMAs. That means ask me anything so you can connect with other like-minded professionals. It's more than just news. It's an efficient way to grow your network with impressive business minds. I was sold on them because of the team behind it, Alex and Jason. This is the brainchild of Jason Kalkanis. He's one of the hosts of my favorite podcast, The All In Podcast. He's an icon in the business world, the startup world, and he knows content. So you know the qualities there. Last, you might want to grab your inside URL before someone else does. Luckily, I got Jim Huffman before my nemesis in Minnesota got it. 
If you want to connect with me, go to insight.com, search my name, and let's chat. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast or what you think of Insight. Let me know what you think. What do you think separates the good communities from the great communities? And can you give any examples of companies where you're like, they are nailing this? Heck yeah. Great communities understand that everything starts and ends with identity. Community is just identity. It's somebody that feels like this is my space. I belong here. I don't need, I don't want to be without these people. This is where I come to get what I need. And so it's, it's almost like my Greg Eisenberg, a friend of mine and a colleague, he talks a lot about the difference between a cult and a community, which I always think is kind of funny because it's such a fine line. Like it's really like a hair away sometimes, but it's true. There's, there's this almost like cult, like you think about Apple users, I'm never going back. And when I send a text message and it's green, I'm like, what's going on? Why, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Sorry. I have lots of Android friends. Apologies. But there is this really like, I am an Apple user point blank. Nothing's going to pull me back. There's that, that identity feeling. And I also think the other thing that separates them is great communities run their community in a way that demonstrates they understand the importance of very evenly being split between strategy and tactics and emotional intelligence. Because your community manager needs to not only execute on the community goals, but needs to have a deep understanding of the psychology of belonging and how to foster that. And that's like a a creme de la creme community. Right now I am nerding out on notions community because they, they just, they kind of blow my mind consistently with the way that they've approached community. They're very much a community driven product, a strong community led growth and their model is so unique. So I think, I think notion has done really well Lululemon has done a really great job, especially in IRL communities. And so has ConvertKit recently. I've been really interested in the way that they've leveraged community as well. Yeah. And so I shall get into what, what, how are they using tech stacks for those different communities? Because that was one thing we were trying to figure out, like we're, we're, we were wanting to do Slack because we wanted to go where people are as yeah. opposed to forcing them to use another tool. And we're already ingrained in. I feel like we could use it really well. I don't know if you want to give color on like with those three, like what tech stacks are they using and what are you thinking through with the right tools? Convert Kit is on. Oh, I'm going to mess this up and then the platform's going to get mad at me. ConvertKit is on <laughs> Tribe. I'm almost positive of that. The interesting thing about Notion is they are platform agnostic, which is a, a thing I've not seen before in a community. They noticed that their community members were sharing on uh, all kinds of places. They had po- they had private Facebook groups. There was a Notion Reddit community. There was like all of these platforms that... Notion users were starting to share best practices and templates and all these things. And rather than try to corral all them into a central platform, they hired somebody um, who then created a team of ambassadors who kind of oversee the whole thing. So everybody can stay playing in their platform of choice and still be kind of overall managed by the Notion ambassador team, which is like wild to me. But when it comes to platform, I used to, so I was on this hamster wheel. It was driving me crazy because community is becoming such an emerging trend right now that every other day, a new community, it's this, it's that. Oh, what about vanilla? What about Heartland? Oh, school. There's just platform, platform, platform. And then on top of that, 
all these older platforms that have been around for a while were releasing new features and new features in this update. So you feel like there's this old cartoon of Donald Duck and the boat's leaking and he just keeps trying to plug holes (laughs) with webbed feet. That's what I was feeling like. And I recently just realized it it doesn't really matter because when you're looking to build your community and you're trying to figure out what platform to go on, you only have to answer one question. The only question you have to answer is, are you willing to sacrifice long-term usability for short-term traction? Or are you willing to sacrifice short-term traction for long-term usability? And there's not a wrong answer. There are some people that are okay sacrificing some UX stuff if it means it's going to be easy to build the habit. And then there's some people that are not. So if it makes sense with your demographic and you would much rather have momentum, like you don't even want to try to spend time building momentum, you're going to go with Facebook or Slack because that's where people are, again, depending on your demographic. Just know that long-term, you're going to have some usability issues and you just go into that with eyes wide open and hey, maybe you won't because both of those platforms are always giving or releasing new features. If you're willing to work harder to build the habit, then my suggestion is always now that you go with either Mighty or Tribe. That's it. So I don't even bother dealing with all of the other community platforms anymore because there's not enough of a differentiator in any of them to make me think twice about it. Tribe has really built its back on being a business-focused community. So like IBM or like really like they're, they kind of are in an upper tier and they're one of the only ones that really tie nicely with a CRM. And then Mighty hasn't built it exactly for that tier, but has built this like crazy customizable platform that ticks all of these boxes. And that's it. Like that's all, that's all I care about anymore. I don't even look at other platforms now, maybe to my detriment. Yeah, it can be very overwhelming, but it's almost like you're going back to the fundamentals of, of what really matters. But like for me, when I hear that, I'm going to default to traction over product unless I just already have this group that's just dying for me to launch a community. Then I'm like, yeah. okay, then I could I could force them into this. Yep. I'm also interested in communities where the community member base has like a name and they just get really fired up. Like I see, I'm in Seattle. KEXP is a like listener-powered radio station and they have the amplifiers, people yeah. that support it. And the community around that is just insane. Even some podcasts, the acquired podcast. I mean, they've done a great job. And to your point, I, I love hearing your formula because I'm like, oh, wow, they're doing exactly what April's saying, where it's quarterly or they're doing like monthly meetups. They do like a big annual conference and live podcast recordings and have like special access that you can get, mm-hmm. but it's, 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 it's really impressive to kind of see that, that in action. But I, I don't know if someone's going to get started, what are common mistakes you're seeing that people should just watch out for? You've kind of listed some directly and indirectly, but, but what yeah. else? I think, I think lots of, strangely enough, there are lots of communities that are launched without any real game plan. Like, they actually didn't strategically think it through. It's a little wild to me because you wouldn't launch a product that way, I would hope. And a community is really no different. So not even understanding like the value, the programming, who's going to be in the community and what it is that they're going to find valuable. So at a basic level, again, the community management thing, either not having a dedicated person or hiring somebody because they're chatty. Like you said, Eileen is chatty. Chatty is not, doesn't mean they're going to be a good community manager. You, they need to understand all of the nuances of managing a community. 
another mistake I think uh, is common is people launch brand communities and then they talk in the same voice as their company. So your community is not an extension of marketing. And I, I know this can be debated, but in my humble opinion, when you go into communities and you talk in the same marketing voice, it's a very transactional feel. And as long as that layer of transaction is there, it really hinders people from building that intimate uh, connection-focused economy that people are looking for when they enter into community. So not understanding what your community voice should sound like and that's another common mistake. Another one is not tying it to business outcomes. Like your community needs to drive a business outcome because if it doesn't, when resources get scarce and they will, the community is the first thing that you'll stop paying attention to. Those, those would be, I think, my top four. Gotcha. And that, that's really good, having that game plan from the start. So, you know, you recently started your agency. I mean, before that, you were with Trends, which was owned by The Hustle that acquired by HubSpot. Mm-hmm. Well, what are some of the things, like big takeaways, just either lessons learned or just being a part of that ride that you kind of took away from it that helped you grow into like the, the role you have now? I think, funny enough, I mean, I don't know how many people will appreciate this, but one of the most powerful things I learned in that community was how <laughs> how mushy and similar all people are. And I say that because Trends is a very pragmatic community. It's, it's a community of entrepreneurs and builders. And what, you could even, if you were describing it at its extreme, you could say it's like, it was, it's a cold community. It's binary and give me the information. And, and, and there's a tendency to look at it that way. But the longer I was taking care of that community, the more I realized every single person is dealing with a set of insecurities, a set of fears, a set of desires. So even the ones that come at you and they're gruff and they're obnoxious and, and they can, some people can be gruff and obnoxious. Once you get them into DMs and really strip away what's going on, it always comes down to the same set of like basic needs and insecurities. And that was so powerful for me because I had managed a community of artists before. So I was used to like the woo-woo, touchy-feely kind of relational stuff. I'm like, well, that's not, that's not what trends is. But to a degree, all communities are because you're dealing with people. Yeah. So that was a, a very big lesson learned. And then the second lesson learned goes back to what I was sec- saying a second ago about mistakes is like communities that don't have no stated business outcome. There's so much suffering that goes on. There's suffering in programming. There's suffering in just the community manager feeling valued and what they're doing is important. If you can't meaningfully tie that work to anything bigger than just the fact that, oh, communities are good. It's a dire mistake. Yeah. That's really good advice. Community in the day you're working with people regardless of the category that the community is based around. So it's like always have that like in the back of your mind. Oh, Um, let me throw you one last one because it's very heavy on my mind right now. You know, the old cliche is work on your business, not in your business. It's mostly the opposite for community. You absolutely need to work on your community, but you cannot just work on your community and expect it to thrive. You need to be constantly present. And I'm talking about from a community management perspective. Being in your community is the way that you get it, everybody rowing in the same direction. And I'm seeing, a, a, I am seeing communities now that are just hoping to stay in the background and build engagement that way. And it doesn't work. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you've got to, that's the way that you have to be this almost conductor that's orchestrating it at all times to make yeah. it come the right way. So you've recently, as you've left, you're now an agency owner, right? You're, you're running this business. You and I have talked at, at length on like the pros and cons of a service-based business that scales with people. How's it going? What, what's the good and the bad as you're kind of thrust into this, this model? How, how, how are you feeling? I'm sure if you're like me, it can change like the wind on an hour by hour, day by day basis. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> so I would say the immediate pros and cons and, and some of the stuff that I'm experiencing is, first of all, it's crazy to me how cash flow positive an agency can be immediately. I mean, coming from prior stuff being such a, oh, just to get to a good, healthy revenue was such a slog. That has not been the case in this instance. I mean, we went to, now mind you, we're baby, we're like worth going into month four. So it's not like I've got like a heavy data set, but we were at an average of 30K a month almost immediately. And that's, you can't do that with a lot of other businesses and growing. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so that part's really cool. It what's disorienting to me is we were we were chatting about this before we hit record is people are always wanting more customers, more customers. But they don't really talk about the opposite of that is when you have a lot of demand or a lot of customers, you can't even breathe. Like you can't breathe and that's not a good feeling because you want to feel like you're delivering something if somebody pays me $10,000, I want to hand them at least $30,000 worth of something back. You know, I want them to feel like they they like, oh, I would have paid triple for this. It's so good. And it's hard to do that when stuff is happening so fast around you that you're having trouble assembling the plane. You know, it's like flying down and you're trying, just trying to get the wings in and getting those basic processes and systems tight and those automations. How How is it that we handle them? What's our criteria? All of these things that you're having to think those things through in the little tiny spaces between client work, it's kind of untenable. So that would be the part that I, I find really difficult. Yeah, it's really like switching your mindset. Okay, kind of to the cliche of working in your business versus on your business, right? Yeah. It's yeah. So like <laughs> taking those hats on and off. Oh, I'm helping them with this very tactical thing. And then, oh, I have 90 minutes. Let me rethink my whole pricing structure and value delivery mechanism. And, right. it's, yeah, and then it's update crazy. all my materials to reflect that. <laughs> yeah. Horrible. Oh my yeah. gosh. It, and that's the good and the bad is you can A-B test so quickly on pricing and your offering. It's like mm. a sales call in 30 minutes. I'm going to test it on that one, which, mm-hmm. which is good and bad because I'm, I think you've done a significantly better job than I did with, with my agency of, out of the gate, kind of having a framework, you know, pulled out of built to sell and let's make something that's repeatable and scalable. And there's parts of it that you can productize, which has been fun for me to watch. And can you give people like a range or ballpark if they're wanting to work with you? What are those options? Because I know you've been playing with like, how can I help people in a way where it meets people that have this budget versus Hey, I want to go super premium. What what can you do for me? What what are some of the things you've landed on that have helped people? Yeah, there's a couple of things that were really important to me. The first was transparent pricing. Um, I don't like the opacity that I see a lot of in a lot of like agency or service based businesses where it's like the pricing is so variable and you can't really find it. And it's just what is like you. 
I was just think, talking about this the other day because somebody had posted on Facebook and said, hey, I'm looking for the whatever, whatever. And then someone responded and said, oh, I can help you. What's your budget? And, and that I hate that question. I know we use it. I know we all use it. I use it too. I know you use it. I know we use it. But the, the funky thing about what's your budget is, no, 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 you're the expert. So you need to help me understand what the value is and why you charge what you do. It's so weird to me that we think it's okay to put the onus on the customer to like just with no knowledge of our industry, kind of like conjure up an idea of what they might want to pay for a thing. So that's super odd. So I try to be really transparent in pricing. And where I've landed is right now. So if you're listening to this a year from now, it might be more expensive. All right. Um, (laughs) We're currently building out a model that's very similar to if you're familiar with Donald Miller's Business Made Simple University, where it's like a yearly fee, and then you have access to all this like self-serve education. So that's in the works right now. That's $300 a year. And you could just help yourself. Like the the if you're gonna trade off time for money. So less money, more time. There's like a D D I Y do it yourself. Yeah. Approach. Yeah. What I think <laughs> when it comes to a building community, we do the strategic portion. So we'll build the full, it's it's like a, too long to be quite frank. It's a hundred page playbook that's custom to your business. We build the full strategy out. So that's and it's a flat rate of ten thousand. And what we do is we do an, an an analytical sprint where we dive in and understand the customer behavior. We like look at your community industry and like sneak into lots of other communities, bucket out those behaviors. We set up your platform for you, the community rules, the community programming, like which handle we handle the thing. And then on the execution side, we'll either train your community manager specific to the community playbook, or we'll outsource someone for a monthly fee. And the monthly fee varies depending on what you need. But we, just, I just try to keep it super simple. I don't want people to have questions when they come to me. I want them to know what it is, that they want it, and let's move forward. Yeah, like simple. So it's like a yes or no decision and not all the, this yeah. nuance. I love that you're able to help people based on where they're at, at their budget or, or different level, because even some of those people that get the $300 a year could potentially need your help with some of the the more in-depth services. And so you're you're the salesperson right now. You're you're doing it all. Are you, are you have you are you getting contractor help or are you getting freelancers or have you hired 20 employees? What where are you at? <laughs> yeah, I have an EDBD team. I do. I had to bring in another strategist cuz it was just too too much. So I have Gina. She's great. I yoinked. I didn't really yoink because she's still there, but there's an editor that works with trends, Cindy, and she's just so, I'm so, I'm embarrassingly bad with typos. If anybody were to judge my credibility based on typos, I would be living in the streets at this point. So she cleans me up quite well. I have Isabel who does like the more admin work and like she does some blog writing for me and that's it. The rest is just contractors. So we are like a very we're a baby team. That's awesome. But hey, better margins. And I'm a big, that's how I started, to be honest, was very conservative, higher, slow. And I, I, I'm, I'm just so impressed with the foundation you're building and the demand. Like you have some heavy hitter clients right now. So I'm interested in, tell me about April before trends and communities, like a little bit more on your background leading up to this. I've been in community for a long time. So Trends was definitely not the first rodeo on that. They just didn't have a language for it. Community is new in its, like people are just starting to recognize it for what it is. 
it used to be that community titles actually had to do with more like nonprofit work or a, a very specific angle, but I've done community for a long time. So I built community for Starbucks and Sony Music, some really great places before Trends. I owned a business for 11 years before Trends. It was a small business for sure. So again, it was an adult dance studio. And then we eventually actually entered into the e-com world. And we were the only, I like to claim this because it's very exciting. We were the (laughs) only online dance studio that live streamed our classes. So classes were live. People can tune in from anywhere around the world. We had a little chat box. So during the live class, the teacher could check in with people at home. And like it was changed our revenue trajectory and allowed us to just serve a global audience. Uh, That was very exciting. And then I used to facilitate Google Venture Design Sprints at an accelerator. So that was another, I think, piece that I brought with me because the those sprints, the way you collaborate with people and the energy of it, like making these decisions in real time, it was just so invigorating. I, I bring a lot of that into the community work. But quite frankly, I sold my business when I joined Trends. And at the same time, I moved from California to Boston. And it was the hardest two years of my, I don't think I've ever been as miserable as I was for those two years. So I'm very happy to be in the position that I am now and starting to kind of rebuild my sense of self. I mean, that's an amazing foundation you had leading up to this, but that that is tough going from Cali to Boston, but, but especially if you're not satisfied. Was it because you wanted to go back to being a business owner and working for yourself? Was that one of the, the roots of it? I loved I loved trends. So I was I was really grateful for my time there. But I wasn't prepared after building a business for 11 years. Um, and the business was so community-based. So every Tuesday night for 11 years, I stepped into a room and I taught a group of people how to dance. And we created together and I learned their stories and they open up to you. And I ran a dance company of performers and we had flash mobs and events. That was my world. This, this was my entire world. And I could look at any dancer and tell you like their background and kind of the struggle, their insecurities and what, how they're thriving and all of these things. And I just wasn't prepared for what it would feel like to leave, you know, a thousand relationships behind suddenly, especially into a space where I had no community. I didn't know a soul when I moved here. So I went from being encapsulated in community to zero community. And if anything, it just reinforced my convictions that community, I sometimes I even get sick of the word community, it gets said so much, but community is, it can change a person's trajectory. How many times have we heard stories about people who are ready to take their own lives and then got a word, like a kind word or a call or something that shifted that for them. And that's like a very small glimpse into what just being seen or valued or feeling like you belong can do for someone. And community is that on a large scale. So there's just no, there's just nothing more important. I mean, I couldn't agree more, even like being new in Seattle. I feel like I didn't really find my kind of tribe or whatever it was till I joined this entrepreneurship group, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that really maybe like the city even more and, and, and doing that. And you look back at your life, it's all these little communities that, that emerge from that. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's so cool. And so one question I always like to end with is what is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? First of all, spectacular question. Just thank you for that. It's so much better than the like, if you could tell the whole world one thing, I'm like, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I love that question. I, I think two come to mind. One is more like ambiguous. So 
just in general, because I did struggle, I was struggling at trends, just like with the, the personal transition and everything that was going on. But I had a coworker named Ethan who just, I owe him so much money in therapist, but like invoicing. It's, it's, <laughs> he's just one of the most patient, kind, encouraging people. And even when I was just a mess or like on the cliff, the, his ability to just listen, bring things back and just be so encouraging. I don't think he knows, like he just kind of single-handedly anchored me in many, many times. So just going that extra mile, but on a more like detailed level, I was part of this mastermind group for people that I'm still friends with to this day, like very lovely people. And we were all in this community. There was only seven of us. And when the pandemic hit, my business took such a revenue dive. It was like, un- I mean, we're a dance studio. So just we, 70% of our revenue just went away from one week to the next. And I just didn't think we were going to keep our door- doors open. I didn't know how we were even going to pay rent. And uh, I was in a mastermind with it and talking about it and it was hard. And then the next morning woke up and just had a whole chunk of money that was in my PayPal account. And so one of the guys had just sort of facilitated behind the scenes, like, hey, can we all pitch in and help her get her next month's rent paid for the studio? And be, and I, and they did. And it was, it's just so wild, like so wild. But again, it was a community and that is what community does. It wouldn't have happened without community. So full circle. Man, that's awesome. First off, yeah. when you join that community, yeah. that's the <laughs> nicest group of people ever. They are wonderful people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that's such a cool story. Thanks for sharing that one. Yeah. What? So people are like, all right, April's fantastic. I want to talk to her. I want to work with her. Where should they go? They can go lots of places. They can go to wondry.co, W-O-N-D-R-Y. They can go to aprilmcclain.com. They can find me on social platforms. You know, just type in my name. I'm one of the only April McLeans that comes up, thankfully. That's impressive, actually. <laughs> I'm grateful for it, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. But, you know, a- April really does know her stuff. It was, it's been so fun getting to work with her on the community aspect. I feel like Jonathan and I would leave and just feel like we are, we're getting a master's in it. So I cannot speak well of you enough, but April, thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time and let me drag you on this thing. I appreciate it. Such a good time. Thanks for having me. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growth Hit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Today's episode is brought to you by Inside.com. 
Are you a founder, marketer, or executive that's looking for the next untapped social channel? Then look no further. Seriously, this one just launched and it's already getting insane traffic. It's like the website love child of Reddit and Twitter, but for business. I love it because it's the social news site and community site that actually cuts through the noise, unlike other platforms. I can discover content from other founders, plus it's a great place to share my own thoughts with professionals. I'm actually starting to get a little bit of traffic from it. For me, I like the topics feature because I can easily jump into inside. I can filter by startup content, e-commerce content, or marketing content to find things to help me learn or to help me make my own business decisions. Plus, they host AMAs. That means ask me anything so you can connect with other like-minded professionals. It's more than just news. It's an efficient way to grow your network with impressive business minds. I was sold on them because of the team behind it, Alex and Jason. This is the brainchild of Jason Kalkanis. He's one of the hosts of my favorite podcast, The All In Podcast. He's an icon in the business world, the startup world, and he knows content. So you know the qualities there. Last, you might want to grab your inside URL before someone else does. Luckily, I got Jim Huffman before my nemesis in Minnesota got it. If you want to connect with me, go to inside.com, search my name, and let's chat. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast or what you think of Inside. Let me know what you think.